Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Imperfect. Today's guest is someone really cool. He's another gentleman who has gone on a journey to discover what masculinity is. Timothy is a photographer, writer, business consultant, and a lover of living life. He founded The Man Effect out of a desire to find answers for what it means to be a man, which sent him literally around the world, interviewing people on what and how they describe being a man. This journey has not stopped for him, and he continues to press on and create conversations around what it means to be a man. Fascinated by this man's journey, fascinated about the conversation that we had, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. We'll get into it now. Timothy, I am so excited to have you here on the Imperfect Podcast. The first question I always ask my guests is, if there was one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner... Who would it be and what would you cook for them? Luke, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, and I, I think to answer your question, the dead human being that I would have over for dinner is uh, Nikola Tesla. And if this is all hypothetical, I'd have a smoker and I would cook some sort of meat. And then I, I would just want to explore how he visualized and, and created many of the inventions that changed our world and his journey and process of that. And this, so I, I would, I would target the later years of his life before he like died. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, I always think it's so interesting to ask people that question. Cause it's just like, who is their mentor or who someone they look up to. And I always like to, to find that and discover that and, and figure out what their passions are. But Timothy, why don't you kind of give a, a little bit of an explanation about who you are, what you do and how it revolves around kind of masculinity and manhood. Yeah. So to, to answer your question, um, it's, it's kind of like a long journey for me, but in my mid twenties, uh, in 2014, I think it was, it was a fascinating point because I was exploring what it meant to be a man. And at that point, the most popular websites were like art of manliness and everything else was just like pickup artists and people who were getting in shape, like, you know, how to get jacked. So I, I, I saw a lot of content out there that I just wasn't answering any of the questions I had. And at the same time, I was in a place of my photography where I wanted to better my skills. And fortunately, I had the freedom because I was an electrician to financially invest in camera gear and all that type of stuff. And somehow I formulated the question, if you were to describe what it means to be a man in one word, what would it be and why? And when I formulated that question, I instantly was like, man, this is it. Like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to ask people this question. I'm going to have them write their answer down on a board. And then I'm going to take their portrait. And this is going to be my series. And so I burned through my family and friends. And as I started doing that and starting these discussions, I started to realize that this topic wasn't discussed a lot. And then I started going out on the streets, started expanding, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it just it gave me a real desire to create content around this co- this discussion of masculinity, purely out of just answering for myself the questions that I had and taking more of the bent of emotional intelligence or more of the psychological or mental side rather than just like the physical attributes that people seem to focus on. Mm-hmm. I think that's the exact same reason why I started my podcast is trying to figure out what masculinity means. I have a question. Do you think like kind of was your relationship with other men harmed before you did this because you were always questioning what masculinity was and you weren't comfortable with your own and therefore you couldn't make male friends? Because like that's something that I felt. I'm curious if that's something that that you felt. No, I don't feel, feel like they were harmed. Not for myself. It was just more of non- fulfilling conversations around the topic. I don't know. Just a, a lot of I don't knows and stuff. But like being that I was in the construction industry and I was already masculinely inclined or whatever you want, whatever terminology you want to use. I mean, it wasn't uh, difficult for me, but it was more of like mentally the solidification of like, who am I as a man? And what define like what makes me a man rather than just a boy? And it, it was in that, that conversion point in my life where I was becoming more comfortable with saying, yes, I'm a man. But I'm trying to think if relationships were damaged because of, and I, I can't think of any instances. But yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, how, how did you see that manifestation? I'm curious of the context, what you're talking about. Yeah. So I guess for, for myself, it was more like 
when I was younger and on this journey, I really struggled to find male friends because there was always this like kind of bitterness towards the jock to the alpha male to those who are like more attractive physically, like because that was what was overly represented, you know, like Hollister ads and all these ads of guys with ripped abs. And I never fit into that norm of masculinity. I wasn't like super athletic. I like sports. But beyond that, like even now, I don't like beer that much. Like there's things that are typically male that I don't belong to. And so for that reason, it made me think like, just hold this jealousness and, and envy towards other young men because I'm like, I don't see myself like them. But then when I kind of started this journey of understanding what masculinity is, which was a couple of years before actually starting the podcast, I understood that a lot of men and young men are actually hiding their true feelings and emotions about a lot of things because they're not comfortable being themselves in a lot of situations. So that's when I started to be like, okay, so I I can make male friends. They can talk about these things. It just won't be in a public setting. So why don't I kind of start a podcast and do one-on-one conversations with people instead? So I kind of like grew through a process and now I'm much less judgmental of other men because I, I'm trying to understand the psyche of them. And that's why I don't really hold a lot more resentment towards them like I used to. Yeah, I mean, I used to enjoy being that I was in construction. I would I would tell people things just to break their concept of who I was or their expectation of what men do. Because like when I would be like, yeah, I'm like a photographer and stuff. And they would just like look at me stunned and like, what? You're a construction or like you're an electrician or I used to do like slam poetry and stuff. And like it would just it would just throw them off. So like there's a level of like self-confidence and security in who you are and not allowing what things you like to uh, displace if you're a man or not. And I think that's, that comes a lot from like knowing who you are, like your, you could say your identity or your values. I, I answered someone's question. They're like, how do you, how do you tell people interesting facts about yourself? And my resolution to that scenario is that think about people's general expectation of who you are and kind of like how you're supposed to fit into society and then tell them things that you like or that you do that displace that. That will make you be interesting to them. And it'll also like disrupt their their thought processes. It's fun. I always find it funny because I tell people I read and they're like, you like to read? And I'm like, yeah, I enjoy reading. I don't know. Like it's it's something fun that I do. Like I enjoy Sudoku puzzles, like jigsaw puzzles. Like I don't know. I'm pretty nerdy if if people like get to know some of my my side habits, but I found it funny cuz I've actually invited people who are photographers onto my podcast and they're like, "How does that relate to masculinity?" I'm like, "You'd be surprised how many men think that's not a masculine trait to be like creative in that way." And they're like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like this is something that's more broad, but we can still have that conversation about it on my podcast about how you chasing these creative goals isn't seen as masculine by a lot of people." And like we could we could touch on that. But I'm really curious cuz you traveled a bit of the world. Did you see like a gap. I'm really curious about the different things you saw in different cultures. Was it poignant? Was it like, did it stand out a lot that different cultures saw masculinity differently? Yeah. I mean, I live in Serbia right now and like I've done some interviews in Denmark. I think like a, a good example for Serbia in contrast is like just even little things like to greet each other. They, they kiss each other on the cheeks, whereas in the States, we don't do that. Little things like like that, that. Like if I was to come up to you in the States and kiss you on the cheeks to say hello, people would be like, they would definitely question what the hell's going on. Whereas here, it's a normal greeting. And so little things like that, the subtleties that could be interpreted differently definitely do exist. But something I noticed like here in Serbia is like... <sighs> Since they're economically in a different place, I think their cultures developed differently outside of the fact that they're already a different culture. But masculinity here is is interesting to me because some might say it's more traditional here, some aspects of it. Like, it seems like the men play a more dominant role, but yet also the boys and families here are spoiled way more than I was, at least. But so there's just like different ways that cultures bring up men and that directly influences how, how they display themselves in the earth, you know? And so I think that experience was really notable to me, how 
you know, they say, you know, masculinity is just a cultural like projection essentially. And I think some of that makes more sense to me now, just seeing how there's different subtleties and expectations of men in different cultures. Yeah. So do you think there's kind of like a right way of performing masculinity or like, obviously that's kind of a, a throw up question. Um, but I'm really curious if you, if you think there's like, a, there's the most healthy way of performing masculinity. You know, like I think masculinity is really tied to like your values and your identity. And so if you're able to be solidified in that, I think that's the most healthy place that you can operate out of because then, then you're not, you're not living to social expectations. You're just living your life. Like the men that are most respected or looked up to are often the men who have disrupted the patterns that people think men should do, you know? And, and it's like, they're, there's, they're just living their life, their values, and they're pursuing that. And out of that place, they're perceived as extremely masculine. And so I think that's the, the best place to, to operate out of, you know, because to me, Albert Einstein is super masculine. He's this hella nerd who changed the world, you know, like, and that's a form of masculinity to me in the sense that he was pursuing his passion, his values and his goals and dreams and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, and you said you went around taking pictures of people with a whiteboard and one word on it. I think I saw yours was authentic. Is that, was that correct? Yep. So yeah. What did that mean to you? Yeah, so I started, I was like, well, if I'm going to ask people this question, I need to start start with myself and uh, self-portrait. So I, I chose the word authentic. And early on, my, my, my interview process was underdeveloped as well. So I just went with the first word that popped into my brain. Like I didn't sit there and contemplate deeply. But as the years unfolded, I realized that I live a lot out of a place of authentic, like being authentic, not, or most specifically to myself, like trying to be authentic and true to myself. And so I found that to be really interesting that that's what I, I perceived to be um, the best way to describe masculinity in one word. And so kind of like my own project taught me about myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just in that simple interaction. So that was really fun too. Yeah, no, I think that's so true is, is the more you talk about it, the more you refine your own idea of it. And then you're like, oh, I was right the entire time or this kind of threw me for a loop. Did you ever have like a process or a time where you kind of changed that word for you that it was no longer authentic? It was something else, but now it's back to authentic. Has that ever kind of changed or has it kind of been steadfast? Oh, yeah, it's been solid. I, I wouldn't change it. Not at this point. Yeah, if I was to say, if I was to ask myself that question again, it would probably be authentic. I think mine's the same word. So I thought I thought that was really interesting that yours was authentic. Was there like a word that you saw most often describing it? You know, I have a spreadsheet breaking that down. And the hard part is there's similar words that people would use, but they're not the exact same word. You know, like someone would say strong, other would say strength. So I haven't compiled that down, but I, I did notice a lot of the same patterns of like integrity, safe, strong, those type of words were very common. And I, I thought that was interesting. And I also saw, I think I read like 20 of the interviews and a lot of the ones I saw were actually fathers were the person that they looked up to or, or was like that core person or actually mothers. Um, I saw a lot of mothers there too. Kind of what was your noticing of those two things? Cause I thought it was really interesting to see that the mother was their source of masculinity. Yeah. So to give your listeners some context, as, as the project developed, I developed more questions to ask in the conversation. And so I'd start out with, if you were to describe what it means to be a man in one word, what would it be and why? And then later on, I developed, who is the most masculine person you know? And I chose the, the, the phrasing of that very specifically, not to say who's the most masculine man you know, because I knew that there were people who didn't have father figures or male figures in their life. And so when I met men who were brought up in single mother homes and their mom was playing that masculine role in their life. It was a really fascinating interaction because I just loved those type of moments where either people would realize like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Like my mom did play the masculine role or hey, my, my grandpa did and he was only in my life for like 10 years of my life or, you know, like whatever it was. But I very, very rarely, I'm trying to think if I know of any interviews where when I asked them who was the most masculine person they know, like almost every single time they described that person, that person fulfilled the word they chose um, to describe masculinity. And so it's like that person 
in your mind who you think is the most masculine is the representation essentially of masculinity in your life and what you think is good masculinity. So that was really fun to discover and observe. Mm-hmm. And man, I think that's that's really interesting as well. It's like that that subconscious idea that this representation that you think it is was actually achieved by the person. And then once you're asked about it, like so many things start piecing together. But I think there was there was one point you made in a, in a blog post that said, um, you know, you're on this journey to discover what the definition is. And then you kind of close off by saying the definition won't help. I'm really curious what that meant. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. I mean, like, if I'm just hanging out with like one or two people, we could probably come to a general consensus of what we think masculinity could be represented as. What I'm trying to get at there is that I think the focus on what masculinity is and trying to define it takes you away from actually discovering your own values and your own identity because it comes back to that. Are you trying to fit into a cookie cutter of these unspoken expectations? Or are you trying to be, to be yourself? And trying to find that definition, which I don't think is possible, will just lead you down a path of feeling like you're not fulfilling people's expectations or their, their ideas of who you should be, rather than if you pursue your values, your dreams, your visions, your identity. From that place, you're, you're, you're on a much better track. And so I think that's what, what I was trying to provoke. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's that's very wise that, and I loved when you when you said that in the post because I think it's so true that if we come like bottled up and and trying to figure out what the definition is, you'll really find that there's no definition, and you, so you wasted your time. To me, with this podcast, I just want to have conversations with people to figure out what masculinity means to them, and I want to prove to my listeners that there's not one size fits all. Like one of the, one of the things that I've that kind of provoked me into starting this conversation was a lot of the, of the terms around toxic masculinity and traditional masculinity, and to me, I'm like those things aren't inherently bad. So you know, everything in moderation, but some of the aspects of maybe traditional masculinity are unhealthy, but I wouldn't consider them toxic. And it's the same way that I think that sadness and showing emotion as men can be more than just crying. We can show our emotions in different ways as long as they're they're healthy. And it's trying to get people to understand that you know, some people are raised differently from both a parent process to a DNA process. Like they just react differently. And we need to understand that, that different people perform differently. There's no definite, there's no one size fits all masculinity. In order for that to even exist, there, there, there would have to be a completely 100% equal playing field and starting point, which just isn't realistic. Like economically, you started out different. Ge- geographically, you started out different. Home environment, different siblings different school different like there's so 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 many different factors that influence and and guide how we develop and are created as human beings essentially or as we manifest ourselves and so it's like denying that those factors don't like if you you say those don't exist or those don't influence us it's just ignorance yeah, exactly. I, I think social, like who we are as people is so much shaped by our surroundings when we're younger. And then we blame people for when they're older, kind of having that mentality that, you know, it's the same reason why other people might see to- like masculinity differently or think a certain ways unhealthy. It's the same reason why that person thinks it's the healthiest form of masculinity for them. But really going back to kind of where you started, um, one of the first thing you mentioned was that a lot of the questions you were seeing about masculinity weren't being answered. You know, it was a lot of pickup artists and whatnot. I'm curious to see here what your problem is with pickup artists or what, what, with what the kind of the coverage of masculinity that you saw was when you first started. It's all, it was very superficial. So it's how to get laid, how to tie a tie, how to change a tire, how to get in shape. I feel like those are all surface level conversations. And I think they can help people develop as human beings. Absolutely. There are men who need help interacting with the desired partner that they want. I think that there are men who need help learning how to change a flat tire, because if you drive a car, there will probably be a point when you have a flat tire. And just on a practical level, yes, that makes sense. But at the core, I didn't feel like those were meeting core issues, which I, I feel are emotional issues or mental structures. So it's like, 
acknowledging that you have fear and that other human beings have fear, but how do you handle your fear? Do you choose to move towards it or do you run away from it? You know, like the most, yeah, yeah. It's just like trying to highlight the actual development, developmental processes that help men become better men. And, and what I mean by that is people who are contributing to either their immediate extended or clo- just close community in the sense that they're human, human beings that aren't um, bringing pain, murder or whatever, you know, like it's that, it's like actually dealing with these de- core issues like depression and anxiety and, and stuff like that. Like, how do you, how do you, do you have coping mechanisms for that? Like, do you have structures to help you? Or like, do you know that like your diet could be influencing your hormone balance, which would propagate or, or help with depression? Like those, those are more core, core issues to me than like, like, Hey man, like, you know, just make sure your shoes and your belt match. Like that's a really good tip. You know, and I'm not saying that's not bad to have that conversation, but I just personally like to go more towards a, a core issue. Yeah, me, me too. I, I definitely uh, agree with that. And I, I guess a further up question is, do you see a difference in terms of having that conversation between like America, Canada, you know, the Western societies? And I know European is also technically probably a, a Western society, but do you think there's like a different level of openness towards having those conversations like right off the bats or what has been your experience with that? You know, I haven't had enough in-depth like conversations with other countries to, to say, say that ones that I wouldn't, I would consider aren't Western cultures, but like, in Western culture, that there's a lot of stigma around getting therapy or going on these like group therapy men retreats or you know like I mean they're a little they can be weird. I'm not going to negate that, but I think the pursuit of these type of conversations is still not a comfortable thing for the general populace. Mm-hmm. No, going into the like the retreat side of things, it's definitely something that I thought was super weird when I first heard about it. But now as I'm getting more into the space, I'm having a little bit of conversations with people who've either been on those retreats or actually like hosting those retreats. And it's interesting because to me, it's still not something I think I would do, but it's something I'm fascinated by because it's like, you know, going into their, it's a lot of meditation. Sometimes it's a lot of physical activity, like literally beating each other up (laughs) and like almost like fight club type stuff. Um, So I find it really interesting, this dichotomy and I guess relationship between the physical aspect and the emotional aspect on these treats retreats. And I'm like, I don't understand these things at all, which makes me want to go more because like not really from like a, a almost a participating stance, but like a, a research stance. I don't know. Have you ever been on one or have you ever thought about going on one? Yeah, I've been on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I'd like to make myself like my own test lab, like guinea pig. Like I'll just go do things and try things. Absolutely. I've done therapy. I've done those like men's retreats and been a part of them. I, I like how different of an array there are of them. I just haven't financially been able to pull it off to go to all of them. And then like, I, th- I thought life coaching was a joke. And so I made myself hire a life coach that was highly esteemed. And, you know, like I just, I push myself to like, just try those type of things, even though I think they're shit. What has been your experience, even though like, was, has your initial thought of them being like shit or has that been challenged? Have you found like really positive influences from those kind of what's been your takeaway? Yeah. So one of the men's retreats that I went on was really good. It helped give me a vocabulary for communicating emotions and kind of a structure for that, which I thought was fascinating and really helpful. And also um, men from that organization became some of my closest friends for years. But there's also been online men's groups that I've been a part of that were horrible and a waste of my time. So I just kind of had to tough through some of the good and some of the bad, you know, like it's funny. Yeah. What do you think are some signs that one's good and one's bad for those that are kind of out there looking? Is it is it really important to kind of get in contact with them first and see what their mission is statement is or, or kind of what are some of those six signs? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, like if you're someone who affiliates with a specific religion, that's going to be a huge factor. So uh, I don't have a religion that I'm associated with at this point, but I've been a part of Christian groups and then non-Christian ones. And I think that's a huge factor to find out because that will definitely influence the messaging they have. I would say like maybe how, how long the organizations have been around would be a good filter as well. And 
most places will have, they'll have negative reviews. Most of them will. But what I've found is the men who didn't have good um, experiences on the, the stuff I was a part of that I liked, they weren't hungry for change. They were just hoping someone else would fix their problems. And so like, if, if that's what you're looking for, that's these type of groups probably aren't for you, nor is therapy really. Yeah. So like, I, I would say checking out like religious stuff, financial stuff. I think you just got to try it out though. Like when I tell people to go to therapists, I'm like, you might have to try like three, four or five therapists till you find one you like. That's just part of it. Yeah. No, I definitely want to try therapy myself. And I, I, a lot of the people I've talked to have actually done it. So I think about probably half my guests have done therapy, I would say, which is, pre- which is pretty good. It's not really a huge sample size, but I think therapy is something that I want to use to figure out more about myself and ask myself the right questions. Because I feel like a lot of the time what comes from therapy isn't so much the fact that you aren't smart enough to discover yourself, but it's the fact that you weren't asking the right questions and it's all about the questions. And it's the same with podcasting is in order to get to someone else, you really have to understand what questions to ask them to really pull from them. And you have to understand what questions to pull from yourself. So I think that's what I want to do with, with therapy, but I'm really curious in, in the sense of what are some of those things that, or what are some advice that you would give to men trying to figure out themselves from both like a performance level of photography, art, asking questions of other people, and then asking questions of themselves? I think I would just say, you just got to dig and be perseverant. I've read a decent amount of books, dug through a lot of podcasts, YouTube channels, talk to a lot of people, podcasts, <laughs> like I've talked through a lot of stuff and just knowing like appreciating the moments when you do find something that you've been looking for and then just enjoying the journey and the process of when you aren't finding what you're looking for and just not giving up. Cause it's honestly like finding answers to questions is a lot like sales. Like there's just, you get a lot of no's, like that's mostly what you get. And then every now and then you'll get a yes. And so it's like, you just got to push through a lot of the no's to find a yes here or there. So that's what the journey is like. I definitely feel that, uh, pressure, I guess that, that, um, those experiences of, uh, having to push through and try to find it. Cause it's, I think one thing that a lot of people, and I think it goes beyond just, you know, my generation of the Gen Z and the Gen Y or, or millennials is that we're really scared of going deep within ourselves because we're scared of what we might find, which to me is one of the main reasons why we have a lot of anxiety. We have a lot of, of depression is because we're really scared of what we'll find. And that's why you have a therapist to help you guide that rather than yourself because they're professionals in it. But it's, I think it's the same thing with masculinity. You know, I ask my, myself questions all the time that really analyze why I do what I do and, and if there's a way to respond to it that is a healthy manner that, you know, what is the core reason why you need to swipe so much on, on Tinder or all these dating apps? Is it like, what, what is behind it that makes you feel insecure? Because when I was on it, I was just like, I need to swipe to get more matches because even if they weren't to me the attractive girls, because I needed to feel like someone liked me. And it's, it's the same thing that a lot of people I think like, and they're just scared of, of saying that to themselves because it is a really scary thing. But I think we need to just, as you said, dig deeper into that and be okay with being scared of who you are. Yeah. I think there's, I've actually found a lot of freedom in what I would call, I term, I term ego death. And what I mean by that is like realizing how insignificant my life really is in comparison to the reality of (laughs) how big the world and societies and all that. And so it's like, I actually wrote a really in-depth article on my website about facing darkness. And last year I was skateboarding on my longboard to go get groceries and I crashed and I fractured my skull and had a traumatic brain injury. And, uh, Normally, we have these, these abilities to stop ourselves from focusing on, on dark matters of our lives. Like we, we distract ourselves with video games or going to hang out with friends or whatever. Well, I was bedridden like for months. And also on top of that, every head injury is different. But for me, uh, my emotions and issues were magnified like exponentially. And so... In that season, it was just highlighted to me that I, I just need to face my darkness. And um, that's when coming back to ego death. 
those dark sides of my, my being, if I ignored them, things got worse during my head injury. But if I confronted it, faced it and worked through it, I found parts and aspects of my life to be more free and light and I valued myself in a different way. And so personally, I find a lot of freedom and excitement after I face my fears and learn about how insignificant my life is. And that's just myself personally. So it's it's almost like taking back that those dark aspects of your life and owning them. Is that kind of correct? Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with Carl Jung? Uh, the name sounds super familiar, but I, I wouldn't be able to know off the top. Okay. So he's just a really famous um, man who's influenced a lot of modern psychology. Anyway, he uses this terminology of calling it our shadow, which is aspects of us that might not necessarily be if I'm the youngest. And so getting people to acknowledge and recognize me is a big deal to me. And so if being aware of that, we can call that an aspect of my shadow, I, I can tell when I'm operating out of that. And that's a side of me that I'm not that, that um, pumped about, but it's just, it's part of my life. And so like, yes, acknowledging and knowing how we are and how we exist and who that shadow is in our life is actually really powerful. Mm -hmm. And then I'm interested going further on that in the sense of how much of that do you share with other people? Because I think there's a lot about owning our own darkness, but how much of that do you share out to the world? Do you, do you communicate it? Because I think like one thing that I've always struggled with is that I can be an oversharer. And so if I'm just getting to know someone, I want to create that authentic, vulnerable relationship kind of right off the bat. And I can do that by almost intimidating people with how open I am, but also being like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have shared that but i think a lot of people value it at the same time but i'm curious in terms of of owning your darkness how much of that darkness do you share or do you only share it with your girlfriend or significant others and those you trust that's a complex answer because you're getting into social interaction i can't assume that everyone who's listening has good social skills and so you really have to have an ability to know the environment that you're in and when you when it is appropriate to be vulnerable and honest about things and when it's not and so there have been times where i've been transparent about things and people appreciated it and then there's times when i want to talk about it but i know that the environment that i'm in isn't open to those type of discussions and so it's it, there's there needs to be Social awareness, which essentially is just developed through you doing, trying and failing. So good luck if you're listening and you, and you suck at it. <laughs> but vulnerability is a gift that you can give to people, but you got to be careful with it. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's that's so true. And and that's something that I am, have always been working through myself is like how vulnerable is too vulnerable? How much should I be sharing? So I've tried to, to limit that unless I'm purposefully trying to get to know someone, whether it's a girl or something else. Like I, I try to be as honest and, and open and authentic as possible because I think there's there's a lot of value in that. But then kind of going back to the, the ego death that you talked about, there was one article where you said, life doesn't care what you think a man should be. Is that kind of tied to the same? I think this might have been before your accident in 2019. If I if I remember the date of the article correctly, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But I, I'm really curious what you think by that. Do you think too many men are overanalyzing what men should be and so they're not living their authentic selves? Like what did that, what did that line mean? Yes, just that. No one gives a fuck. When you live your whole life trying to fulfill the unspoken expectations of others, you're wasting your life. And so, like, society as a whole does not give a fuck, really, what type of man you are, as long as you're not, like, out murdering people or raping children. Like, they really just don't care. I mean, obviously, you can. there's extremes to that, but... If they cared, there would be a masculinity class in every school and your parents would sit you down and teach you how to be a man. But guess what? No one does. And then earth as a whole just doesn't care. And so I don't know why it's so in, ingrained in our nature to figure out what it means to be a man. But it, I think that's really just rooted in a place of insecurity. And so if you can pursue finding security in your identity and yourself and just know that you are a man, like, you're not going to worry about all that other stuff. Like, you're just not. 
you, you still will be faced with difficult decisions and scenarios and life is a bitch. I, I don't, I don't know why we're so as men, we, we so have this like ingrained desire to fulfill the expectation of other people of what a man should be. It's, it's a hurdle that needs to be overcome. And I actually think that's that's so true. And, and one of the reasons I always felt like I could start this podcast was because I've really rarely felt the judgment or the pressure to be the stereotypical man or the traditional man. And I've always felt comfortable kind of challenging people in their idea of the traditional man. So I'm like, you know what, why don't I use that what I think DNA or, you know, God given talent to or, or I guess perspective to start a podcast and kind of dig deeper on these questions that other men might not be comfortable asking themselves. So as much as this is like a journey for my listeners, I want this to be a journey for myself too. And that's what I was speaking with someone last night. And he's just like, it sounds what your podcast is, is your journey and you're hoping people come along with you. And I think that's what a lot of podcasts are. And I, and I, and I think that's totally, totally true, but I, I do feel like I'm blessed to be in the place where I don't feel that external judgment a lot of the time. And when I did, I'm like, why do I feel that? And then I would be like, no, screw that. And then I just became who I am. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So when you get into a car for the first time, do you adjust the seat? Every single time because I'm tall. Okay. So where that technology came from and in the sense of like why our society has chairs that are adjustable was can't quote me on the, which war, if it was on world war one or world war two, but they were having issues because the cockpits were designed for the average male size. Right. And there were men who were taller. There were men who were wider. There were men who like, there was all these variables. And so this guy came in and he studied the human body and the, the most common variables. And he created it so that the cockpit could adjust and it decreased the amount of deaths that were happening to the pilots, right? And so I look at masculinity to be quite uh, similar culturally. So like there's a lot of expectation of, everyone wants to know what the average man is, but the reality is, is no one's that specific average, right? There's all sorts of variables and you just gotta be okay with the fact that you're adjusting because you're too, you're taller or you're shorter or you're fatter or you're skinnier. Like that's just, that's normal when you get in the car. And so it's very similar for men, I think, and just in life and society. So I, I use that as an example because um, I just think it's a good imagery. Yeah. It's so true. Like everyone is different. Like that's basically the groundwork of what everything is, both from a DNA, from a raising, from a cultural, from a societal, like every person's different. Um, and on that journey, we'll find out that we're different. But I, I just think it was so interesting that, you know, it, it came from a place of, of no one gives it like through your journey, you're like, no one gives a shit really what a man is just be yourself stop like that's such a common thing that you always hear right from people is no one really cares what you're doing like a lot of people think more about what people think of them than other people and that's that's such a common term but it's really i find what a lot of creators say that people that have actually done and, and kind of live their authentic selves are the ones that are doing that and once you start living that authentic self you'll realize no one really cares and if people do care then you know to, to kind of like move them or or decrease the role in their life, in, in my opinion, not from like an aggressive standpoint, but just from like a, you know, I'm going to, I want to do this and I'm not going to have you kind of blocking what I feel is true to me. Yeah. Well, so th there, there comes a tipping point too, where you get past the things that people don't care about how you live and who you are. And then you'll enter into a point where you start living the life you want. And then you're going to start making decisions that people do care about. And so just a personal example from my own life, I had met my girlfriend online of all places. I never thought that would happen. I was like, I was like all about, you know, asking people out in person and blah, blah. Anyway, met her through a Facebook group. Things were going well. So I decided to sell my stuff, shove my, my shit in my friend's closet in the States. And I bought a one-way ticket to Serbia. And I was just like, yep, yeah, I'm just going to move there. And when I chose to do my life how I wanted to, that's when people started being more vocal about their opinions. And as I've continued on this journey and stayed true to what I want, 
I've found that they've adjusted and they're more comfortable now. And so it's like, there's this breaking point where you go, you get through all the stuff that people don't care about. And then you get into this sphere of where people do care about. And that's where you need to be more secure in who you are and what you want. And it's just it's further and further. And then they're just like, oh, that's just a Timothy decision. Once you get to know him, that's you understand that that's Luke. And then that's kind of where that that idea comes in. But uh, so I have a guest who who came on and he works a lot in uh, Czech Republic, but he's also done, uh, he's from the States, but he talks a lot about how the idea of telling people that they're a man, like having that point in time where a man, their father, you know, culture, their society tells them like you are a man right now is super important to Eastern European lifestyle. Has that been something that you've noticed? Is that something that you think is is important in just every man's life is being told when you are a man? Because, you know, used to be like these tribal experiences or these rituals that were performed that tell you you're a man, but we don't really have that often anymore. I'm really curious what your, what your thought is on that. Yeah, so the rites of passage, I think is a, it's a lost asset in Western cultures. And I really wished that that was something that was more developed. I've actually thought about building businesses just around that alone, creating a rite of passage that dads or moms can bring their sons on just to give them that, like, all right, you're a man now. Like, I would have loved that personally. Yeah, can you restate your question? Because I could just saw my brain go on a tangent. Yeah, no. So it was just like the idea about that rites of passage like how important did you think that is to being like two men who are questioned? Cause I think a lot of it, like his, his argument was a lot of people, a lot of young men question when they become a man because there's no rite of passage thing. And so there are, there's like that lost period of life until they, until even like then when they discover it. So I actually had him come on and, and perform that rite of passage at the end of the podcast. And I'm like, you know what? It'd be really, really, it'd be really cool because he he does he does like um, pastoral work in in Czech. And I'm like, what do you normally say to the room of young men who need that male like being told that they're a man? And so I'm like, can you just perform it on my podcast? And he did, and it was fantastic. Um, and I thought it was really cool. But um, yeah, I just thought I'd ask you that. Yeah. So I think I think I would love to see it more integrated into societies again. There's a lot of the tribal stuff that that exists or, you know, the classic 300, like where he gets sent out in the wilderness and kills the wolf. Like really, I think if you're not in a culture that has that, what you can do is push people to face a lot of fear or take a lot of risk. And that will make them feel like they've gone beyond the rites of passage, like gone through it. I, I do a lot of like questioning online and get to get a feel for how men develop and feel. And one question I've asked a lot is what is what is a moment in life where you felt the most masculine and outside of men who their child was being born that's a really common one the second the second most common one was moving to a place where they knew no one and going somewhere different geographically it forces you to face a lot of your fears a lot of issues all that stuff and it's a big risk and and so I, f- I think that throughout life as men, we go through different levels of rites of passages that help us solidify more and more as men. So like, even if you're not in a culture that has a formal rite of passage, I think you can do things to put yourself through them. Going on a men's retreat can be a rite of passage. But do you think it's, a, so do you think it's really important for then men to frame those experiences? Like obviously, so I've done some solo travel. I've done a lot of those experiences that you just talked about, but I never really thought about them as rites of passage. I just thought about them as experiences. But now that you say that, there's a bit more of an appreciation there for what I've done in terms, like I did, a, I did a two week solo trip to South Korea and the Philippines and on that time. So when I did a lot of solo travel, that's when I actually came up with the idea for this podcast in the first place. That was like a year and a half ago. I find that alone time really helps me develop these thoughts and, and things I want to do. And, you know, when I was on, traveling the two weeks and then another week alone, I was just like, okay, how do I, like, who am I when I'm not around other people? Am I driven? Am I not driven? Am I going to get up early to travel this country? Am I going to kind of like lay in bed till 10 then do what I want to do? Like there was just so much freedom. And it's almost like that paradox of choice that you have now when you go into a convenience store, there's so many different choices. So you get frozen by that. It's like, now that I have the freedom to do exactly what I want to do, you're frozen by that too. I, I went, I was, I travel in hostels because I think it's, it's so cool to meet people. And I was, 
uh, in South Korea, I met like five strangers and I went out for dinner with all of them. Like we just went out for dinner and I'm like on the street, like the, the, I, literally I remember the night I showed up to Seoul, there was a gentleman on the street at 1230 in the morning and I was out there too. And, I, and he's just like, do you want to go to dinner? And I'm like, you're like a 45 year old man asking out a 22 year old on the street if to go to dinner at a different country. And I'm just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, I don't know. Let's, let's do it. And he ended up being like a pastor at a local church. And we just like talked for like two hours. He paid for my meal. And that happened like five times in Korea. I'm like, this, this makes me feel great. Like it makes me trust humans so much more. Like they were all men. So I was learning a lot about different men from different cultures. And I'm like, this is just an amazing experience. Exactly. And and you wouldn't have had that experience if you didn't choose to confront some of your fears of like, oh, I'm going somewhere by myself. Like for some people that's crippling and that's, that's entirely fine. It's terrifying, but it's like the more you face your fears and take, take risks, the more self-confident and secure you will become. Like, then that's, and so, so I think those milestones where, where that solidification happens more are rites of passages. So it's like when I started, quit my like really good job and started my own business, like that was a massive milestone for me, you you know? So it's like, there's these trigger points throughout life that we will always look to. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that you mentioned to look at that at a right, as a rite of passage that I've done that. And a lot of people in my life were just like, that seems like a dangerous thing. And I'm like, yeah, but I did it and it was fun and I'm fine. And it may have been some of the, some of the, some of the things I did may have been like foolish to get dinner with a stranger. Cause I wouldn't have no contact, but I, as a white male, I do feel like that is a privilege I can kind of take advantage of. And I'm like, you know, like whatever, that's, it's fine. I, I'm not, I'm still alive. I'm still here. So <laughs> whatever. Uh, but yeah. 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 Definitely done very similar things. Yeah. But uh, definitely uh, to kind of, I guess, close this interview, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but the last three questions I always ask people kind of revolve around male mentors and male figures in their life and kind of asking a series of questions to, to kind of close the whole conversation. So the last, the, one of the last questions I always ask is, what is one thing your father or a male figure in your life taught you and a piece of advice that you live by every single day? Yeah, so like my dad taught me just by proximity that working hard, having a really strong work ethic is valuable and necessary. And um, that's something that has significantly helped me throughout my life and that I deeply appreciate. Yeah, he'd work really hard and then he'd come home and like fix our shitty cars. And like, he was just always, he was a really hard worker. So that was, that was something I learned. Yeah. And then what is one piece of advice that you wish a male figure or your father taught you that would have helped you in your life? This might not make sense to most people, but I wish someone would have taught me about frame, like how you frame yourself and carry yourself dating professionally, socially, all of that. More, so more from like a, like a physical, um, like, like posture or more like just being professional, like in, like understanding different environments are, are different scenarios. Yeah. So your frame, your frame is like how you carry yourself. It can be what, how you posture yourself when you walk up to a woman in a coffee shop or bar or wherever, or it can be how you hold yourself when you're at a customer or like interacting with a potential client. Yes, there's actual physical posture things that are taught, but it's also psychological and socially how you interact. And there's just a lot to it that is extremely valuable that I wish I didn't have to dig up and learn on my own. Perfect. And then the last question I always ask is, what is the one piece of advice that you want to pass down to future generations and and future men? Yeah, take risk. Short and simple. Beautiful. And then, uh, Timothy, I always allow for my guests to kind of explain what they got going on in their life at the end, what you do, um, where they can find you, where they can interact with you. Anything that you want to pitch and and talk about, you can do now. Yeah. um, Mainly, I just post things on my website, uh, which is themaneffect.com. Yeah. If they ever want to chat or talk or have ideas, let me know. I I will most likely have a published book posted on there by the end of the year. It's more just very practical levels for like teens 
basic skills on how to be a man. So that should be coming up. But yeah, that's it. Just check it out. If you like the blogs, that's great. That's what I spend most of my time on now these days. Perfect. Audience, I have loved the blogs that I've read on his website. They're very reflective, very true and authentic, which are exactly what Timothy says is masculinity. So, you know, I made some notes just for fun the other night while I was reading and trying to get to know Timothy for this interview. And they really helped me frame a lot of what was was talked about in this in this podcast episode. So if you are someone who is looking to learn about masculinity and manhood um, and kind of that journey, I think that the Man Effect website is 100% a place that you should go to look at it. But uh, Timothy, I guess to follow up on your book, what are some some of the tips, I guess, for teens that people could expect to find within that book? Just to give them a little bit of a tease. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just really basic, honestly, stuff, just like nutrition, um, fitness, finances. It's kind of like it's going to fulfill the very, very basic role that of what a father should probably teach a kid. Just like an overarching basics, you know, just like what are your values, navigating sexuality, I touch on identity, and it's kind of a shotgun overarching kind of book for just the basics of all aspects of life. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. Well, Timothy, thank you so much for joining me on the Imperfect Podcast. It was a pleasure having you. And I look forward to staying connected and continuing this conversation because I loved it. And I think you offer so much wisdom and, and life experience towards a lot of it. So I'm happy to be connected. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thanks. And cheers. Thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Imperfect. You can find Timothy on social media at themaneffect.com. He's got tons of articles about masculinity, his journey, his process, just blogging honest thoughts about the conversation of masculinity. You can also find him on facebook.com at themaneffect and on instagram.com at themaneffect. These are just honest conversations with men about what it means to be a man. Well, this has been one of the most fascinating conversations I've had just with, you know, he's another man doing the work that I want to do as well. And I think that it was a component to me that made me really stood out to me. And I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you enjoyed it, please reach out to me on Instagram at the imperfect pod. I'm always willing to have conversations with people. I really hope you can subscribe, leave a review on iTunes as well. It's been an amazing experience and, and really coming full circle with, you know, I have visions about traveling the world to interview men about what it means to be a man in the future. And so, so to have this conversation with someone who's done it was fascinating to me. Shout out to my editor, Matthew McClelland, for again, editing this podcast. Next week on my podcast, I have another young gentleman, Jordan Paris, who is the host of Growth Mindset University, which is a great podcast as well, where he interviews entrepreneurs around the world. But him and I are going to have a conversation about what it is to date in the current age as young men. And I think it's a really cool conversation as well. So I stick around for that. It's more of a free-flowing conversation with me and another young guy who I built a, a friendship with. So I hope you enjoy and stick around for next week. <laughs>